I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch. So we're right in the middle of the Rugby World Cup, well, maybe more like a third of the way in, if not maybe a third of the way in. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the Rugby World Cup. Uh, For those of you who listened to our last podcast, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the uh, injury prevention and the player safety issues and some of the technology involved in in, at the World Rugby World Cup, which was looking after the players, which Ross kind of explained. So lots to talk about. And today we have a very special guest with us, which we'll introduce to you very shortly, who uh, is probably literally at the coalface of what happens on the rugby field. And we decided that we would uh, pull this particular guest out of the uh, the rugby space and uh, get him to ask all the, uh, answer all the questions that uh, not only I, I have, but I think lots of people want to know about rugby. And I know Ross is going to ask a um, answer some of those questions as well and also ask some questions so we're looking forward to that discussion but before we get that underway we have some updates the last time we did a podcast we talked about the uh, doping case of mm. uh, Halep um, and uh, there's been some movement on that isn't it final decision yeah so we did that recording on the Thursday mm. and I think literally as we were recording they released the full decision and unknown to us we were talking about it at what was actually quite a superficial level not having seen that full decision yeah and it was one of those where I realized we were initially just introducing, oh, by the way, here's a fairly high-profile athlete, not a cyclist or a track and field runner, which is in itself unusual, who got a doping ban. And then all of a sudden, the, the discussion goes into like a lot more technical detail than I was prepared for, which I think often happens. I thought, crikey, I better go and read this thing. And then I saw it came out, and I spent some time yesterday evening, one eye on the France-Uruguay rugby match and the other one on this document. And I have to say... And I've only made it halfway through. I've read because remember she she's got two doping charges over mm-hmm. here. The one is they found a banned drug in a urine sample that she provided at the U.S. Open in August 2022. And then secondly, they've got biological passport numbers that look suspicious. And so it's, it's two things she has to account for. I'm only halfway through, but I have I have to say I really thought her case would be much stronger than what I'm seeing in this document. Mm-hmm. And I mean I realize I'm reading a decision that was written after the decision was known, so. They're telling a story based on an outcome, but nothing in her Roxadustat defense it, it makes me think that she would even have a chance at Cass. To, to praise it, what would you say well, was remember, the defense? Remember when we spoke in the last podcast, we said that her claim was that she'd taken a supplement that had been contaminated. 
And so that's really the argument around this Roxady State claim. And it, re- it gets, it gets it, as always with these things, they're quite fascinating because they take you down paths that you wouldn't have thought even existed. The experts debate something called photoisomerization of the sample between the A and the B, which explains why the levels were different. And it's like these are proper rabbit holes. But the fundamental point is that she, she, she thinks it's the supplement, but a few things pop up. Number one is when she gives her doping control form in at the time of the test, she doesn't declare the supplement. Now, mm-hmm. in her testimony, she's only started using that supplement literally that week. So there's your first problem because we know from the news that the biological passport stuff spans a lot longer than a week. So mm-hmm. she's only got a contamination defense that c- covers a very narrow window within a bigger timeline. Makes sense? So that's mm-hmm. a flag. Then she didn't mention it, not only in the doping form, but in an interview that was done in October after she'd been told about the positive sample. So this is going to be the thing she's going to blame for her positive test. And she twice fails to mention it. So that's weird. Then she says she's never heard of it. And then in another point in the testimony, she says she'd never take roxagistat because she was due to go in for surgery the week after and she knows that it could be a side of her side effects. Well, if you've never heard of it, then how are you making decisions like that? Mm-hmm. And, the, and they literally catch all these things. They mention them in the document. It makes for a really interesting reading. It's a bit heavy, but it's quite interesting. You're going to put that in the show notes? Yeah, I'll put the link. Uh, yeah. I think I just sent a patron link out. So the patrons okay. who are listening to this will already have it in your weekly newsletter, but we'll put it in the show notes today That'd as well. That'd be interesting. But then the main, th- the main thing is, and it comes down to that same issue on concentration, is she sends this supplement off to her experts, but also the authorities have their experts test the same supplement. They cannot find it in that, su- in that stuff. Her export finds it, but at such low concentrations. And then in the in the decision, you'll see they go into like the two experts, a guy called Alvarez and someone called Eichner. So Alvarez is uh, Halep's expert, one of many, and Eichner is the ITIA expert. And they have this basically debate. And Eichner can't find this thing, this drug, in the supplement, no matter what testing method he uses. And he goes through different ways of approaching it. Alvarez, on the other hand, finds it, but at such low concentrations that it can't possibly explain the level in her urine. And they even do a control study where they get someone of similar size and build to Halep, admittedly a 58-year-old woman. And if you if you want to go look at it, it's point one sixty five describes it. For me, the most interesting part of the Roxadustat part is they give a 58-year-old woman the same supplement that Halep used, the same batch. So in other words, she's now taking the supplement. And she takes it for at exactly the same amounts and same times that Halep says she took it at. And then they do 35 samples over the course of a week. They only find roxagistat in her urine seven times out of 35. 28 of them are nothing. Wow. And in, on the seven that they find it, the levels are so low. Like literally, and I'll read you point 0.168, is after adjustment for specific gravity, the values in the player's urine were 46 and 85 times higher than the highest value found on testing the volunteer urine. That's the highest value. That's, that's only seven out of 35 samples. Mm. All the others were even more like different compared to mm. Halep's. So that's Halep's defense, and it actually ends up arguing against her. Mm. So that's why I say when I, when I think her defense is weak, she, she offers very little compelling, and her, her best claim actually ends up being used against her. So uh, she, she yeah. can go to CAS. And I haven't even touched the biological she passport stuff. she indicated she's going to get a CAS? Yeah, very vocally. She, oh. put, she put out a statement on social media. She just a little bit. It feels like. And mm. her coach, a guy, Mortaglu, has come out and said, he's absolutely stunned having sat through the hearing. And I'd read all that before I read this. And so I honestly read this document thinking I was going to see some mm. real conflicts and tensions. 
this <laughs> it seems very clean to me and even Vanessa and um, Vanessa um um, Williams uh, was saying in one of her tweets, she said, well, eight is better because it mm. was Simona Halep that decided, d- d- denied her one of her yeah. Grand Slams. So. I'd be cautious if I were Williams. Yeah. I mean, had the same coach. Yeah, Serena as Williams, Halep. yeah. Sorry, I forgot her name there for a minute. And, and the other mm. thing about it was that Halep, the, the, in, in the verdict, and I mean, this is a bit further down, they talk about how the suspicious sample started in March and mm. Halep had started with this coach just in, literally a week before the first suspicious mm. sample was found. That same coach was Williams's coach. So okay. as Williams, I'd be a little bit cautious about that. And maybe like given the history of the panning room and mm. the... So. I mean, she is arguably the highest profile tennis player to ever be banned from tennis because of it. Yeah, I, I, can't I mean, there's think some of other ones, like there's a cocaine one. Remember, the yeah, Gasquet or something. That's like trivial stuff. A legitimate doping case. I actually can't um, yeah. think of anybody that's higher profile and than then, that. And then speaking of the other crazy thing in the case is her expert, Alvarez, says at one point and I wish I could read it to you, is that there'd be no benefit to a tennis player taking Rexadjustat because it's not an endurance activity, and so you don't need red blood cell and oxygen-carrying capacity. And then, of course, the tennis authorities find an expert, so of course you do. Just because you're not running a marathon doesn't mean there's not a, mm. a benefit. I mean, they're doing 10, 14 hours a week. Of course, recovery and endurance make a difference. So, I don't know, the expert almost discredited himself saying that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just... She can take it to Cass, but... No, I didn't see anything in this. Good, I didn't see yeah. anything in this in this decision mm-hmm. that makes me go, "Oh wow, she was done. She was done a, a dirty by the authorities here." Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I just thought thought to bring that up, you know. And then uh, yeah, that day was. So I'll share that again. The, the patrons sent a few links out, and there'll be some discussion on there for those who want to check it out. Yeah. Mm. Right, so let's move on to the topic or the interview we've got today. So our interview guest today is a gentleman by the name of John Dobson. Uh, They're very well known, particularly here in the Western Cape and in South Africa, as one of our leading uh, coaches and the coach of the Stormers franchise here in South Africa. And, um, of course, one of our most successful franchises in South Africa. A real technician of the game, a man who really understands the game. He's got some fascinating sidelines, which, Mm. Ross, I'm sure you'll be able to explain a bit of those as well. But we, we decided that we wanted to get... A couple of the questions asked, and I think it, a lot of it came from me because I would describe myself as a, as a rugby fan, but not a f- rugby expert. And there's lots of things that I've always wanted to ask somebody who really understands the game really well about the intricacies of the game, particularly with the World Cup at the moment. That's why I thought, well, we were chatting a little bit about who could be the best person to do that. And John is a very eloquent and a very um, uh, intelligent mm. uh, coach who really understands the game. And I think he's going to be a great a great guest for us today. Yeah, yeah. He's an extremely creative guy. I've known him for many years because he coached at the University of Cape Town in our local varsity cup very successfully. He was part of transforming that whole setup. And so he's clearly been on this pathway up. And then now Stormers coach and a championship winner in the URC. Mm-hmm. He also sits on a couple of rugby, um, world rugby working groups, for instance, on the calibration of the high tackle framework and processes where we have a group of refs and coaches and so on. And mm-hmm. he always adds like really, really interesting, I think, technical insights. And he has mm-hmm. a creative way of looking at the game that many coaches don't. Not many mm-hmm. coaches can claim to be book authors. Yes, exactly. Not that's a rugby he is, book either. He? Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. So he's an author of children's books, isn't he? Yeah, yeah a couple, so. and probably a little and while back now. We might stuff. ask him about them. Mm. <laughs> um, but he wrote a couple. At, yeah, I, I gather he hasn't continued the franchise. Maybe rugby takes more time than that now. Mm. But yeah, an interesting and insightful guy, and we hope that he gives you some insights that open up the rugby watching experience over the course of the next, what's it, four weeks to go mm. in the World Cup. 
Well, given his history and his success with the Stormers, I mean, do you, you think it's via, think it's a possibility he could be the Springbok coach at some point? I mean, he, he yes. must be in with a chance, I would think. Yeah, by, on merit, of course. Uh, but mm. we know these jobs yeah. aren't always um, not always a merit. Always, yeah. It's not a straight path. Mm. Even even when you connect one successful dot to another to get to that place, there needs to be a few things go your way. Um, that's global, actually. It's not even unique to here. Mm. So who knows? I wonder what his ambitions are, actually. I've never, yeah. never even thought to consider that. What's the pathway? There's one job, you know, and there are 10 coaches competing for that one job at any given time. So what do the other nine think they're going to do next? Yeah. Interesting to ask that. We haven't interviewed him yet, so normally what we do is we uh, do our intros after we've spoken to the particular guest, but today we are waiting for him to arrive, mm -hmm. and uh, once he arrives, then we'll be introducing him. But yes, here is our interview with uh, John Dobson. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We had a bit of a cold. Yeah, yeah, we're fine. Okay, okay, okay. That's cool. Let's be okay. Yeah, yeah. Ask you the news. Mike's got sound magic. We'll add some treble or whatever it takes. No, I mean, I've subscribed to this thing. I'm trying to think the first guest when it was a couple of years ago. Um, Flip, who was your first? Uh, oh, we had, we've had, we've been yeah. going for three years. Uh, I've been for two years. Yeah, this is our fifth season. Okay. Actually, and it's yeah, been yeah. it's been pretty cool. We've had we've had Gary we had Gary Kirsten on once. We had yeah. Mallet for on the odd occasion. Um, I just trying to think what the first years. one that gripped me into it. But hmm. it'd be interesting it's, to hear what you what you what you thought was the most interesting one that you read that you've listened to actually. I just can't remember. Well, what, I mean, you're interested in more. Art, art. It's not necessarily always about rugby, is it? No, so I wouldn't do like the the running stuff for that, or the team <laughs> stuff, and the team coaches. Yeah, I think I mean. Yeah, you can learn. Yeah. I suppose there's an idea is that we can always cross-pollinate between, um, you can always learn from other sports with learning about other sports. Oh, definitely. Like, I don't yeah. look at the individual, um, yeah. uh, just something I've got here, I can save some of them. Yeah. I, I don't look, obviously I'm interested in the team stuff. But yeah. No, I mean, I've been, honestly been a subscriber for two years, so there's <laughs> a thing. Well, now we know what you do in your spare time. I thought you just watch rugby matches 24-7. <laughs> Podcasts, the amazing stuff around um, team. You know, I don't listen to the mm. rugby pods because they're actually not much good in rugby. Mm. It's not? No. Yeah? But the, 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 some of that stuff in America about team building and culture uh. is a fucking thing of the best. Yeah. No, you can learn a lot from the, the, those sort of sports I mentioned. Always do I find that the American sports are quite they're quite very different to very different, what yeah. we see in Europe and South Africa and the way that yeah. they deal with stuff like there's some you know Daniel Coyle's good yeah, stuff, yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. that stuff around yeah, yeah that building and yeah. belonging yeah. Uh, Eastwood's popular now you yeah. know the guy right there right oh, he wrote he's a anyway it's about belonging I can't remember which book he wrote a book called Belonging mm. by James Kerr and all that stuff about that's really good yeah. I'm just trying to think which is so I'm, when I, I, I why are you looking, looking for that how many how many books have you written kids just two I thought you've written more than no, that no I wrote a third but I don't want to publish it now <laughs> ah, is, it still, is it also in the kids yeah, genre yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was Gary it was my first one which that's was Gary, in 2018 yes. yeah, that's five years eh? yeah, that's five no, years just five ago. years ago yeah mm. we've been going for a while actually 
And some of them do really well, and some of them are more sort of um, like pitched at a, at a at a wider market. And that's kind of what we want to do today, because we want to sort of we could get into the weeds and the technical side of rugby, but we can also get into like some of the questions that Flo, I was saying to Ross when we did the intro for you. When I talk, when I think about rugby, I think about I, I'm a fan, but I'm not yeah. an expert. Yeah. So I said to Ross, I want to ask you some questions about stuff that I look at the game and I think I, I, what happened there oh. kind of thing so and also questions from people that listen to the podcast and people on Patreon that support us we've got some questions from them so the questions we've we sent you and which we're going to get into um, are about that and kind of just answering those sort of questions so hopefully you have, look, hopefully you can answer I think it's a great idea yeah because yeah. no doubt you're right people watching this World Cup now I think yeah. What's that? Why do they do that? Yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. Anyway, he's so we the, are the guru in world rugby at the moment. <laughs> well, some, some elements of it is. <laughs> some parts, yeah. I reckon a lot of people watch rugby and they go, what the hell? That's not right. <laughs> is there another sport that eats itself like rugby fans eat rugby? It's crazy. Yeah. What do you mean by eats itself? Like they'll watch a great game, like tremendous actions. Even even like last night, you know, mm. Uruguay pushed France in the opening game. Tremendous, <laughs> but the only thing that the conversation then is about is about the three things that I saw that were wrong. <laughs> and then they play what a battery. Mm. And then you'll have this person post a picture of this and say, "I see that," and I'll raise you this one. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you know it's what crazy about rugby. It's crazy. Maybe maybe other other sports do it too. I don't know, but yeah. it just feels like the fans are intent on undermining the sport. And the mm. English media, all they write is articles about the death of rugby, and I mm. can't afford this and so on. You know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's get into it. I mean, we we are recording, and we've been yeah. recording since you walked through the door. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, <laughs> we might have to take out some of the stuff you've said, but uh, we'll we'll keep it. <laughs> I'm going to kick off with some something quite basic, and I think it's a kind of question that I can ask both you and Ross. Like, one of the things that my wife, I said to my wife the other day, what would you like to ask about rugby? She goes, what goes on with their ears? Why do the guys always end up with those weird cauliflower ears? So maybe you can tell us what happens that causes that, and maybe Ross can kind of explain some of the, the physiology. We also know the physiology and the science better, but the, the two locks are pretty much always taped because of the, the tape, because they're between the two hip bones. Mm. So they get those... Um, I don't know why it happens so quickly, Ross. Why... Um, but the, 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 they get these, just the chafing flattens the ear out, this bit out here. So mm. there's some guys who are definitely strapping for aesthetics. So I played hooker. I'm not sure in a hooker position we'd get quite the same level. The two locks I can see crystal clear. Yeah. You know, yes. actually, so actually the, the ear is actually on the hip bone. Yeah, so it's a hard between, part of the body. Between two hip the hookers and the one props hip bone. So that was the generator. That was the start of cauliflower. Yeah, the number eight's also got a case for it. Yeah. You know, whether a seven flank, I'm not sure. Hooker, I played hooker, I'm not sure. I lose it. It's theoretically the same reason. I mm. think that some of it is aesthetics. Um, the only reason for it is the cauliflower ear, to protect your ears. So I you're saying when the aesthetic, the, ta- the taping, taping of the ears, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, taping. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure hooker needs to. Mm. A seven flank, an open side. He's got one side, mm. and it's not really a high-pressure side. He's more with his shoulder. So some of them like it, and then some of them will fuss over the colour of tape. Mm. You know, the, the colour <laughs> of tape's a big thing. Um, why, why, why? Was it like a lucky no, thing? No, they all do. You watch the Stormers all wear dark blue. The bulls okay. will have a light blue tape. The Lions guys will wear okay. South Africa red so tape. So they want to feel aesthetically comfortable with the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah, I think those locks look... Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they, they do the strapping, which we might come to later, but they'll mm. wear... The, the reinforcement will be the, the, the insulation tape, the colour of the jersey, uh-huh. generally. The, 
these guys, everybody's got a sore wrist because everybody's wearing wristbands now yeah. with the color, the color around it. And you're allowed uh, one, you're allowed one slogan or word or something yeah, written on yeah, it. Yeah. There's actually a law well, on yeah, that. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. So yeah. where, where is what are those slogans? Is it like the wife's name? Uh, or yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's a Bible verse. Sometimes it's a saying or a motto or something like that. And in actual fact, they check it. And if you've got more than that, they make you change the strapping. Really? Yeah, yeah. It happened while I was now in the World Cup. In in fact, one of the medical doctors had to change his strapping because even the medical doc had it. And they said really? you got too many, too many words on your. <laughs> so, I mean, some guys, some of the flowers, like Marnie, will have a, his first four or five players on the inside, mm-hmm. and then there's a family or a cross or something on the outside. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the strapping wrist is ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> but why are you saying it's ridiculous? Because you don't need it, or there's you... no medical. I mean, they're doing just the Chanda Ross, one band of elastopost. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a purely aesthetic or a messaging thing. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's okay. crazy. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know about the cauliflower ears, Ross, and the physiology, but yeah. the, I mean, Alan Jones and Kitsy don't strap their heads, but they would put that tape, put a micropore over it. Yeah. So they don't imagine it's genuine. Yeah, you know, Kitsy's doing it on his right ear, which is right because he's, he's a lucid, so his left ear is clear. Yeah. yeah. Very I mean, rarely you, makes it to the final whistle. When you say that it happens, <laughs> yeah, exactly. when you say it makes it makes it happen, it comes quite quickly. When you get players at the level that you're coaching now, have they already got? those malformed ears or were they getting it at school level or does it only sort of uh, come through in the leap level some guys are prone to them okay. I mean, some guys I'm trying to think of a guy recently I just can't think they would have to get them drained before the games really? so yeah, look at school level you'll get some yeah okay yeah, sure. So it's quite a serious thing. I mean, we'd make a, we almost make a bit of a joke about yeah. it, but actually, it can, as you say, no, so pretty painful. Really? Yeah. And you see the guys that you drained there. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to get it drained because it's caused by it's, it's a hematoma. It's like sure. it's like an infusion of effusion of blood into the space caused by damage to the blood vessels. Mm-hmm. So it's basically bruising in that around the cartilage, and then it almost clots, and then it it blocks access of nutrients to the cartilage, and then the cartilage dies. Mm. And then as it tries to reform, it's chaotic and it gets all it doesn't reform in the same shape that it should, and that's why it ends up looking like cauliflower. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but if that, if that hematoma blocks yeah. large enough, then it has to be drained quite quickly. It's necessary. So, is it fair to say that the old school players didn't care about strapping, and therefore that's why you see a lot of the older players? But um, and it's more it's more current that the guys try and strap the ears so they don't. I suffer think the ear strapping's been since I was, mm. I was playing with the guys. Mm. The, the the locks were strapping. Mm. So I think it's quite old. I think cauliflower has been an old problem, hasn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, you see yeah, it in I mean, guys, yeah. like even the guys who played in the 70s, yeah. 60s, 70s, you can see them with mm. cauliflower. Mm. Yes, there, were like, so. there were some weird contraptions as well. Like there's, you know, death row, you know, when the guys go to the electric chair, they, were, <laughs> they used to wear some of that stuff. The old-fashioned scrum cap, remember? Yeah. With the laces <laughs> hanging down here. <laughs> scrum caps should also something. achieve the same thing. Mm. Part of it's pinning your ears back so that there's less chance of them rubbing yeah. and bumping things. Yes. Because it's trauma. So sometimes you see it in boxes, like MMA fighters also really? get them. Yeah. It's not as frequently because yeah. it's not, but it's friction and trauma, mm. blunt mm. trauma and friction. So, yeah. Mm. Sure. That's an interesting. I learned yeah. a lot about that. I thought that was quite a simple question. And then, I mean, just moving on from the, from the strapping thing. So one of the questions we get is that uh, why do players have strapping on their legs that's then, the, on their that's thighs? That's the locks you were talking about. The, yeah. So yeah. a lot of the players have strapping it's on a, their thighs. Is it only... Those locks it's that are getting that? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just the jumpers. Mm. Okay. And so we always look to see who's strapped. Like you'll never see Dion Ferry with that because. Mm. Um, so they put a piece of, it's a, like from a yoga mat in the front here. Yeah? Uh. Uh, I don't know why. I think it's uncomfortable. They don't do it at the back. So you'll see it's literally a piece of rubber about 
you know, probably like two or three inches longer on the front. So if you're lifting from the front, you can get that. I'm sorry, it's a, it's a podcast, it's hard to show. <laughs> but you, so the, the, the lifters will have to grip just underneath that. So it's a hold, okay. basically. Yeah, it's a hold. It's a hold, yeah. And the okay. back, they used to, but the players, I don't know, they don't like it on their hamstrings. Mm. So the back, they tend to just get below the sort of bum cheeks. Yes. Yeah, and throw you up from there. That's the grip on the back. Yeah. And this is the grip on the front. Mm. So that, that, is, that, I would say, is necessary. Mm. But the guys almost take a bit of pride in it as well. You know, they think mm. it looks cool, but it, <laughs> it's only the jumpers. Yeah. Speaking of lifting in the line out, you go to, okay, lock six foot five, 192 meters, let's say, two meters tall, weighs 115. If you took a six foot back who weighed 100, could you not lift him higher and faster? And have you ever thought about putting a back as your lifted player in a line out instead of a heavy lock? You're right on both. You're right. You can get them lighter, but we've never, we never, we never thought of, mm. we've never done it. I've never thought of it. Mm. It actually tends not to be so much. Your point is valid, but it tends not to be so much about height. Now the jumpers yeah, are more timing, trying, yeah, mm. timing and trying to get the, because they, you know, seven man lineup, they can put up two pots. Mm. We theoretically can put up three, if you know what I mean. So we both seven on seven, so, but they they would have to pre decide who's going up to have two lifters. Whereas we, you know, we could have almost four pods if you're just clever with who's jumping mm. so and, and the timing. So um, you, you shouldn't really be in a contested ball. And it generally tends to be if it's contested ball, you're generally going to lose it uh, because they they just have chosen a spot and they're going as high as they can. Mm. You've tended to have a bit of movement before. Mm. His theory is right, though. A back would be easy. But the lifting, I, when I think about lifting, I think about it's only in the line-out. So we, we ask you talking about when kick-offs. the, the kickoff. Kick yeah. okay. It's a big part of the game. Okay. Is yeah. it? Just so you can get elevation, so you can you get position. Yeah, there, there, yeah. there's a there's an overload on those locks, the tight forwards now in rugby, which is worrying me. But so they're going to more for twenty or thirty seconds. They've got the scrums, which all now pressure those have become, and then now they're going to receive the kickoffs, which actually become. I think we have more kickoff. If you're scoring well, you're going to have more kickoff receipts than you are going to have in your own scrum. Mm. So they're basically a full blown set piece now, mm. and then you've got then they're going to have to do all that cleaning and carrying between the two fifteens. It's really overloaded against the big fat guys at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, let's let's have a look at the scrum because this is an area which I really struggle with. Because I think a lot of people do. Eh? And, and I, I kind of, yeah. well, you try to solve it in world rugby, aren't you? Oh, yeah, Just well, to some extent. No, that's, I'm, I'm passing the buck on that one. That's the refs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when I look at a scrum, and suddenly the scrum collapses, and then everybody jumps up, and there's a massive celebration, and then the box upstairs is going like, "Whoa, we did that." What, what am I looking for to try and figure out whether that team has won the scrum? In other words, when well, a scrum well, collapses, how do we know who's won? The ref. The ref <laughs> gives a penalty to one well, team. Well, you, 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 as, you as, a, as a coach, you'll say, oh, Storm has won that scrum. How do you, how do, what are we looking for to see well, that? Go. The first, the easiest one, the one I, only one I understand is the dominance. Now, whether that's right or wrong is a debate because what's wrong with being stuffed up? You know, if I carry into Ross in a normal tackle and dominate the tackle, Ross doesn't get penalised. For some reason, the scrum, you watch it. It goes, mm. you get a bit of dominance, you get yeah. to go forward, you see the arm come up, we'll say, and... Well, just talk the, about, I don't understand what you mean by dominance. So we're going forward, basically. Okay. But they're, so you're pushing always, the other team back. Yeah, yeah the other team's going backwards. But they'll yeah. always, always penalise that. Every time. Every mm. single time. And I don't understand that. So... The, you know, in the old days, you could just get stuffed up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You could just go forward backwards. But now they will, once it's about a meter, hey, Ross, 
the arm comes out and there's a penalty advantage to the attacking team. And usually the retreating team pops up, the front yeah, row stand yeah. up and now and it's scrum say, collapses. Well, it doesn't collapse, it disintegrates. Disintegrates. So the team that's penalised is the one going backwards yes. at this point. Okay. So yeah. it's very rare. Sometimes they'll get you for a, when you're going forward, they'll say you came at an angle, that's how you got the dominance. Mm. That's very rare. It's just generally the team getting stuffed up or going backwards gets penalised for us as well. Standing up or maybe collapsing or walking around the corner. I mean, all this jargon, I don't understand. Over the <laughs> cliff, uh, around the corner, you know, all this stuff. But um, and that, but we understand that. I think what we don't understand, because you've seen a lot of the World Cup, is a scrum going down straight away. Yeah. And then he's just going, he's looking at his AR and then the penalty comes. And I can watch the same scrum a hundred times, you know. So you will see the loose head going slightly down and the tight head hits his knees. And penalties against because it's a low hanging fruit, the tight head on his knees. Mm. But he wouldn't be on his knees if the loose head hadn't hinged or had him sort of bent over. And those are the penalties we're seeing in the World Cup now. I because the referee's under pressure to get the game restarted, mm-hmm. so he's having to make the penalty call. But jeepers, they I don't know which way they're going. So to it's go. almost forcing the penalty rather than a dominance thing. It's not winning the ball; it's forcing a penalty. So in that it situation. happens last week against Scotland. Those scrums, they, they got those two penalties towards the end of the first half. Mm. And people think Scotland. They, look, the one penalty was fair; they did get us. The second one, I think, was France just going onto his knees. But there'd been no dominance, and you could see them celebrating. Mm. And that's a dangerous path to go down because. So what were they celebrating about? They want a penalty. Won a penalty. By how? Well, but France went on his knees, but. How? By forcing it, the tight head to go into his knees. Yeah, but I don't know how, f- how? By creating a different angle. Yeah, but so the loose head would have, we call hinged, basically folded. I don't know how you discover this on a mm, podcast. Yeah. But he's bent over, his head's gone below his knees. Mm. And so France has slipped off him onto his knees. Ah. If, and that's, if a referee's in the ha- knees on, that's a penalty. Right. But that's, there's no skill there. That's, it's a dangerous path to go down. Mm. But the referees are under pressure. We can't have these two minute scrums. So they. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, uh, we sit there in the coach's box thinking, yes, oh my gosh, that's against us. Yeah. <laughs> I understand the dominance piece. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks like that. I understand the dominance piece completely. You see a scrum, we understand, hey Ross, whether it's right or wrong, I'm right. not sure. Mm. But the team going forward is going to get a penalty. But these ones where it just goes like this. Mm. Uh, it's almost impossible to see. Impossible. So, I promise you, if I scrummed against you and our mic, mm. one of us, we wouldn't, we could, one of us could go down yeah. and we probably won't know what caused it. You, you know caused I mean? it, yeah. Now, so well, it's like, I mean, imagine the force that eight men who are mm. highly trained and powerful and weigh 100 plus kilograms each, mm. 900, what's it, 915 yeah, yeah, kilograms 950. in a pack, mm. how much force they're applying to that contact point. Mm. And if the angles are even slightly wrong, something's giving, right? So, mm. you, so for there to be stability in a scrum, when you watch the first scrum and the ref says to the players, right, I want this, 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 what's he telling them? Uh, we want no, him not to jump, stay on the mark. You want stability. Hips, hips level with shoulders, yeah, I guess. Exactly, hips. Uh, show your shoulders out so no shoulders are tucked in. Because if you took out shoulders tucked in, you instantly get an angle. But you so, get these free kicks now for going, you can't. So, yeah, so any one thing out of half a dozen that undermines stability and you've got a thousand plus Newtons being pushed onto that, it's going to cause something to go. Yeah. And now the ref must figure out which one it was and there's six options on each side. Yeah. It's very... Yeah, it's impossible. I mean, what World Rugby and Ross has been involved in, I'm not being funny, what we have fixed are the neck injuries at scrums. I mean, that's a yeah. massive thing. I mean, the game wouldn't be played now if we hadn't, we, I'm talking yeah. about rugby, hadn't got that right because I was right, they were eight a year in Conradi, the old Conradi Hospital from scrum. That was the worst one. Scrum goes down, mm. keep pushing. It and collapses, yeah. You, know, you do C1 or C2. Mm. Um, so that's out. All our neck so injuries. So how, how have they reduced that? Those by injuries, bringing then? the teams so close 
Mm. There's no big hits. Right. It's basically gone. Mm. So it's almost a slide in. Yeah. And the guy, so, yeah. So you slide and then you push once so, the referee oh. says. Yeah. So, so, so John's right. Like in the 90s and even into the late 90s, the sport's biggest crisis wasn't concussion. It was catastrophic oh. injuries. Mm. And they didn't necessarily have to be fatal, but some were. Mm. But the difference, they always say, the difference between a fatal and a non-fatal catastrophic injury is luck. Because the same thing happened. Sometimes you die. Sometimes you die. It's, it's crazy. And then every country in the world started to introduce these smart programs. We've got Box Smart. New Zealand had Rugby Smart. England's got its own program. And then part of that was they, World Rugby funded a big study that was done out of Bath with the engineers. And they looked at different binding sequences. And they changed it eventually to what we see now, which is the CBS, right? It's said like crouch. Yeah, crouch bind set. It was at one moment it was touch, pause, engage, yeah, and then yeah. it was crouch mm. bind set. So they've gone through these different evolutions of, of sequence to try and minimize that force. Because the bigger that force, the more risk of that mm. collapse. Mm. So. I tell you, it's, it's, Mike, mm. uh, the, we, we spend most of our budget by, by chance and by design on our front row. So gets off my herba and Dwebo, gets off gone now. But there was a third of our, almost our budget. Really? So we had to get scrum penalties. And one of our frustrations in the URC was we get going forward uh, and then the referee says, use it. And I'll go to these guys and say, crikey, man, it's 20 million rand there. Give it a chance <laughs> to scrum. Because <laughs> uh, that's what we wanted. We sit in the coach's box. If you've got a pack like ours, and I think South Africa at national level can do it, we'll call for a scrum to get the penalty. You can do it at malls as well. Mm. You know, if you ball for long enough, one of them's going to come in from the side or swim over. Mm. And you, so we basically have to ask him for penalties. We're a thing, what, Ali, from Muhammad Ali, Ali Bumbaye, is our sharp punch in a scrum to get the penalty. It's not to try and, you're not going to score from 60 meters out. Mm. You're doing it for one reason, to get a penalty, you know. Mm. Um, so you're playing, I, you're playing to your strengths. You're playing to our strengths. Yeah. And yeah. Our, our, our field took that away from us because our guys kept slipping. Right. So what happened was uh, France, if you want to attack in the scrum, you've got to get your feet back, mm. which is probably what France was trying to do against Scotland. Exactly. Your feet go yeah. back. You, you're going to go on your knees. You yeah. risk of doing your knees and then just penalty. Yeah. But I, I do think we've got a problem with the scrums because of just what you've raised um, and obviously the time turn. I don't know how we solve it without compromising the safety, which is the most important bit. Yeah. So here's a question. Is it possible that you can beat a bigger, stronger pack technically in the scrum in other words if you have a smaller more technique is it or is it or is it just about power and weight that will win that scrum nine times out of ten it's changed a little bit look i think you can with a smaller pack i mean it depends on the quality of the obviously the quality of the scrum um it is so technical and synchronized now it's 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 crazy in the old days career suck you know just grab the guy mm. i mean you must see the exercises these guys are doing before they get on the before, you know the, the, the amazing timing and height exercises and all this sort of stuff. So give us a, so give us an example of those exercises. I mean, you we, so, uh, and these are these are for the these are for the guys in the scrum. Yeah, no, they got their own machine which measuring what it's. What do you know? He's a scientist. You guys are son Newton. Uh, they're doing their own hits against the machine in the wall, which is registering how long they can sustain that pressure. Wow. When they get the pressure back off, they're doing exercise, you know, crawling exercises with guys hanging underneath them like sort of baby baby monkeys and underneath the monkey <laughs> crawling. Wow. Uh, the, 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 the science and the and the machines are measuring all, all sorts of forces now and and uh, but um, it used to be on, on the opposition ball we could kill them because the hooker has to strike and they reintroduced that about three or four years ago yeah. so for, there's a there's a second where you are eight against seven so you want to attack that when his hooker's foot up mm. it's changed a little bit now teams have become better at managing that that 
it's on our ball now that we can actually order the penalty. Mm. So what happens, you know, you, even if you get the shove on their ball, they get it to the back, the referee says, play away, and mm. off we go. Mm. So you spend a lot of energy and you haven't got the penalty. On our ball, we actually determine when the ball's out, don't we? So that's our ball. We get the ball to the back of number eight and we engage the diesels. Mm. <laughs> and we have a go. Because their flanks are starting to look now. Because the ball's at the back, they know it's going to 10. Yes. They're starting to look, they've got a shoulder up. And we get them with a second shove, and that's when we get the penalty. So we're actually attacking more the scum of our ball than their ball. So there is micro-tactics in that, just by you saying things like the flanks looking up because they want to know where the ball is. Oh, I'll tell you a stupid <laughs> one. We've got a thing called a Schultzy, which is the ball goes to the back of the scrum. The move's called a Schultzy, but we're, the, the, the scrum, of course, break! Their flanks completely think the ball's up, <laughs> and we just got two, three, and we keep the ball in, and we're scrumming against six. You know, that's a, so we, I was changing the name now, but the, <laughs> the Schultes break two, three. Okay. It's just this big shorter break. I promise you, their flanks are gone. Is two, it the most, I mean, for you as a coach, is it the most, it seems to me, with the way that you talk about it, it's, it's, it's quite a, it's, it's a real passion for, for having a passion for the game. That's one area of the game that you can feel quite excited about. Because for most of us watching the game, we want the we want the winger to get the ball and scream down the outside and yeah. score over the line. But actually, understanding that forward battle and and understanding it will make your enjoyment of the game when you're watching it better. So talking to you about this kind of gives me an idea of what's going on there. You know, no, so. look, I think that they, they, they're definitely taking too long. We know if we can get a scrum put in on 78 minutes, we've won, if we're the lead, yeah. we can wind it yeah, down to 80. You can kill it through the forwards, yeah. yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. And I think, but they, people go on about the mall and the scrum. It's the one area, I like the power of the scrum and I like getting the penalties and, the, and it also keeps the game, we need 130 kilogram players out there. If we're going to be 90, I promise that field's going to be it's going to be in rugby league and too crowded. So the scrum is one area where you've got what one almost two tons concentrated or sixteen guys concentrated. Likewise, the mall. People say so the what it is, is roughly two tons of player. Well, it's a nine thirty, nine fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah, hundred the, the two ton, the old player, ten thirty kilograms of player. Yeah, you add the scrum after that, you've got eighteen players in there. It's easily two tons. Yeah, bit of space, and the same with the mall. I know they're boring, but then. Teams are getting much better to attack off malls now. So when the referees are starting to use it, they're much better players. In the old days, it wasn't like that. But mm. now you've got 16 guys in there. And if you don't put six, if you as a defensive team, don't mm. put eight in. Or we're going to keep raping, we're going to keep going mm. until you put the eight in to stop us. Right. And if we put two backs in, put two backs. But what's nice about the malls now, we've seen tries scored from malls. They almost said players, you know, before it wasn't really like that. But mm. I think it's mm. another chance for us to concentrate people in one area of the field mm. to have more space. Mm. And do you think South African teams, I mean, we talk about South African teams being very physical. Is is that a sort of a, a South African methodology around that that sort of forward enforcement and those tries that come from those sort of set pieces that <laughs> into malls? I mean, it's, it feels like it's a, a, a South African thing or maybe even a Southern Hemisphere thing compared to the other nations. Look, it is, it is a, I think what you alluded to before, it is a connoisseur's thing mm. to watch teams like watching France All Blacks in that opening game. Mm. I thought All Blacks were superb in the first half. I thought, cheapers, there's something happening here. But then just the grind. Because the, the French are the one, to my mind, the one team that can do what we can do. Yes, I, do, I think so as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 They can outmuscle yeah. you, basically. So the other teams and it's need, different, right? So a lot of fans are still saying, oh, yeah, French flair and so on. Not anymore. Like the French are actually us version 2.0. 100% right. Yeah. So yeah. we the All Blacks, New Zealand, Ireland need really, sorry, All Blacks, New Zealand, All Blacks, Scotland, Ireland need really, which is all last, fast ball. Mm. Um, the French don't actually need fast ball. They can dominate physically with them all and then, you know, one of their big carriers and they make them mm. all float to the pond. Mm. But the, 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 um, we have got 
I know it's unattractive, but it just takes the legs of the opposition. Mm. And it takes sometimes, I think I did a stat when the Bulls were at their prime under Heineke. They scored half their more tries, half a minute 65 to, to 80. It's that, that slow poison, which is not by nature attractive, mm. but we are the best in the world at it, by, without question. Mm. It's boring, but it's... It's effective. Unfortunately, mm. it is. And it suits well. It's where rugby is at the moment. Mm. If you as a coach had to change one thing about the game now, what would you change? Uh, it's a small point, is the goal line dropout, this new system. Mm. So, you, you know, I don't mind <laughs> if they dot it down. Explain that again. So, if you go over the goal line, Ross and I do a great move. I drive Ross over the line. We've been battering away for 12 phases. Referee can see Ross hasn't got it held up. So all our work, we're going to get the ball back on our 10-yard line. I remember what used to happen then, held oh. up, is a five-meter scrum to the attacking team. So they remained on attack. Oh. And about three years ago, just before COVID, maybe just before after COVID, close to that, they changed it so that it would no longer be a five-meter attacking scrum, but the defending team would now have a goal line dropout. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't mind the goal on dropout if other teams voluntarily put the ball down. Mm. But you know, if Roscoe and I get rewarded for that great attacking play, literally we're going to receive it back on our 10 yard instead of the five. So it doesn't reward really good attacking play. It basically restarts the game without any benefit, really. Well, to detriment. When we go yeah. back no, you're going to finish 50 metres. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is, with my player welfare hat on, is it creates a situation where, and you see teams do it, you'll nominate who that receiver is going to be. And you don't want that receiver to be Cheslin Colby. You want yeah. that receiver to be Dwayne Vermeulen yeah. or like Billy Vinopola for England. So it's the biggest guy. And then the kicking team sends the biggest guy. And you've all you've done is you've created a massive high-speed collision in the yeah. middle of the field. Mm. It makes me very nervous from a welfare perspective as well so on two fronts it's I also have some thoughts about that one the other, the other law I'd change um, they're making progress with this bunker thing have you seen this bunker mm-hmm. thing where they yeah. put a yellow card and decide that's much more accurate but we're at the mercy of TV producers the whole time mm. I know what my feeling is what we should do is only look at try scoring unless Ross headbutts you it's completely obvious leave the foul play um, until and actually go and look at that whole competition's round over the weekend. And on Monday, an email comes, Mike Finch, uh, Stormers, headbutting, seven weeks. Like, proper. But at least it's equal. Look, I think the banking system may have solved this anyway. But this idea of, because we get told, told by Wayne Barnes, who's a great guy, a great referee. Um, and last year, we played some European. He said, if you get a high shot against British Lions, lie down, because it gives us a chance to have a look at it. Mm. And to me, that's anti-rugby. So... Guys getting high shots now are lying down. They're doing it less now because Ross is going to have them all for a concussion test. So they don't <laughs> want to go off. But the people are milking that. You know, I think, and all oh, the producers are being, like we all shot down to the producer. Replay that, replay that. They should really rather replay a highlight of the game or show a picture of Table Mountain. Mm. But replaying, replaying like this and that, it's, it's a messy situation. I would say just go over the weekend and then like, like rugby league. Refer and then just knock the guy out of rugby rather than having these inconsistent. I mean, Jesse Creel versus uh, Sam. Look, I don't think Jesse was a red card, do you? No, I think there have been images now in the last day or two that have come out, and I saw others, and you couldn't make out clear head contact. And he very clearly hit the ball first. If his alignment was even five centimeters off, it would have been a flash head contact, but I don't think it was, no. So, so what you're saying, I mean, I'm just understanding you correctly. In, in, does that not endanger players? It doesn't it kind of give players almost license to go. Well, we're just gonna we're gonna do whatever we like. It's gonna encourage no, the ban must be proper and salary taken off. But at least mm. we're gonna get consistency. Mm. Our frustration mm. as coaches, 
We yeah. sit there. I think I, I sit on a. Uh, there's a world. Pro, I don't know. You know, the world rugby foul play calibration. Yeah. And we vote every week mm. on this incident. I don't think we've had one Ross where, and it's proper. Proper on the same committee. Ross, Conrad Smith, players, referees, Andrew Brace is on it. It's not been one thing where we've all agreed. It's a high-profile group, that, and it's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty good group. Eh? You've got to say, group, like, yeah. that's where I sometimes get a bit pissed off because, like, you'll see people say, oh, the suits and ties are deciding. The suits and ties yeah. are John <laughs> and Jacques Nienaber and Conrad yeah. Smith yeah. and Andrew Brace, and it's really good guys. But John's right. They'll watch 13 clips, and mm. if you get 90% agreement, yeah. it's good. Yeah. Wow. And sometimes I, I thought they'd be around. No, no, no. So there's such a disparity in opinion. Because of what we said on the last podcast, you've got to say, is there head contact, yes or no? And that's not even obvious. Look at the Creel instance. Is there foul play, yes or no? Like the, and I said on the previous podcast, it's Sam Curry, it's Tom Curry, my Mm. bad. Uh, That one, people say, well, not foul play. So there's a dispute. Is it foul play, is it not? Then you've got to go to degree of danger. Another Mm. subjectivity. And then mitigation. Another subjectivity. So, So it's really difficult to get even the very top experts to be aligned. So it's no wonder there's inconsistencies. Sure. And it's the coach's frustration. And I'm judging from what I see on social media, it's a fan frustration. The thing is the sport can't afford not to sanction it because then you're basically allowing a culture of head impacts that don't go sanctioned. And, and we have often gone back and forth. Is the moment there's an on-field sanction followed by a post-match sanction. The on-field is that red card. And then it's yeah. the six week down to three, maybe down to two. What John's saying is maybe you don't have it as strong on field, but then you must load it at the back. That's mm. exactly what I think. Or you have to load it stronger on the field. Because remember we discussed they want to do a 20-minute red card. Yeah. So 10 for a yellow, yeah. 20, for, and then a replacement. And then the sport pushes back for two reasons. The team say, no, we want to be the beneficiaries of a red card. <laughs> like you asked yeah. Uruguay, would they rather have had a red card last night? Yes, yes. of course. Because now we get 14 men as an opposition. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, an, that's a good point. So the team's often, it's often gone to a vote. And no, we don't want this. But the other thing is it softens the sanction. So it's almost tolerating head impacts. Mm. So the balance between what happens on versus post-match is a, is a delicate, tricky one. At the moment, they complain that the sanction's too harsh, though. Three weeks for that? I mean, that's ridiculous. Imagine you'd have eight weeks, mm. but not a red card. Mm. So what do you do? It's a, it's a dilemma, right? That's the, I guess I'm trying yeah. to make the point. It's, yeah. it's quite difficult. I can difficult. see why the coaches struggle with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Excuse me, sorry. We know John's got a bit of a cold, so we, uh, we're going to let him make a bit of a thing. So an interesting question, and I, I, another one is a, comes across as a sort of a uh, naive question about rugby, but why don't rugby players, because there is some level of protection that players can have on the field. They can wear shoulder pads, they can wear skull caps, all that sort of thing. Do you, I will ask John this first, and I actually want Ross's opinion on this as well. Do you think rugby players should be allowed to wear more protection? Yeah, I really am. Ross is really his really much more his question like, well, in other words what's the what does the culture of the sport and the players think about no that no desire i mean the the amount of scrum caps you know the helmets we uh, mm. is minimal now though i think they're, they're more prevalent when i you know 20 years ago mm. uh, the guys generally don't they'll strap injuries they don't actually after i think they feel more comfortable um if their injuries are looked after they're not they're not they're not the players generally are not scared or worried going into into games and the catastrophic injuries tend to be I know that Ross is much more on the concussion side are you know a, a, a leg, our catastrophic injuries are a leg, leg mm. twist or a, ACL uh, ACL is yeah. mm. the big one and there's mm. not much there's no protective gear around that uh, so there's no demand for the players to feel like they want to absorb I mean 
I don't know what the science is. I heard it's not very good, but everybody could wear a scrum cap, mm. but they don't. They don't go for it too. Which I'm surprised at because I think if as a player, if I was even at no matter what level of the game, if I've got a scrum cap on, it might not necessarily prevent a concussion. But if I'm going to go into a whole bunch of boots and arms and heads, a little bit of protection gives you a little bit of confidence in a way, doesn't it? I mean, it, I and if you've so. got shoulder pads, you can go into a tackle potentially harder. I think that nobody's wearing. Nobody is wearing shoulder pads. Nobody really? in my team is wearing. And mm. they were big in the 2000 yes, years. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, one should wear shoulder pads because no. the gloves were stupid. And nobody, <laughs> very few guys wearing helmets. Mm. Um, even mouth guards. Yeah. Some players don't even wear mouth guards. Really? Mm. That's surprising. They're generally not scared of injury. Um, mm. they, they'll be scared of, a, like, as Ross is right, an ACL, which puts their career up. But there's, there's mm. nothing they can do. Mm. And we had a guy, Dan Duplessis, had three concussions, thought about retiring. Comes back, plays without a mouth guard. Mm. It's remarkable. Mm. Fearlessly. Mm. I wouldn't mm. be like that. I wouldn't be able to turn off like that. But they've got this ability to do it. It's like playing test cricket without a helmet, really, yeah, in that yeah, respect, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's, dangerous, yeah. it's scary stuff. Huh? So when you, when you talk about, I mean, you touched on the idea of fear. When you look at your team, when I think of things like the World Rugby World Cup back in 1995 and that vision of Jonah Lomu basically running over everybody, do you have instances in your team where, you th- where players are legitimately scared of the opposition? And if no, you do, you, ne- you never had that where players go, oh, I don't want to be up against that guy today. Or you can uh, see nervousness. Or, no, uh. never, ever had it. Mm. They always think that they can do it. They can. They might be aware of a guy they've got to be aware of from a tactical point of view, but I've never known them to be worried about a mm. guy beating them, never. I don't, I don't think or, you can, or hurting them. Or hurting them, no. Never, mm. ever. I've never seen it. I've never come across in the change room, never seen it afterwards. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They can they, they be worried about the consequences of defeat, but never worried about a physical smack. It's mm. funny, yeah. Yes, because the average same. person probably looks at it and goes, well, if I see Evan Itzabeth charging yeah. at me and I'm a, I'm a scrum I'm off. I'm sidestepping it, for sure. <laughs> yes. No, but they'll, they'll, they'll be thinking, oh, I'm going to have a go to you, Evan. Oh, I'm going to yeah. have a go. I suppose by the then time you smacked. get to <laughs> any decent level of rugby, mm. you filtered out someone who doesn't want to do it. True. The sport deselects you. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's exactly right. That's what it is. It's always like the people you see on television have already been chosen by their attitude towards contact. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, that's a great point. Any guy who bails it, we call it like a, a poach. You know, when you come for a steal, and you know you got your hands on the ball, and you're going to get and, it. And you see that the cleaner's mm. coming. We call it bailing out of a poach. The guy is going to spit himself out the system. You've got to stay in that poach. You know what I mean? Mm. Even if there's a leading shoulder coming, so that 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 will. That'd be a massive black guy. Would be that's a black mark. He's not. Yeah. You know, and Rusty talks a lot about guys who prepare to go into dark holes and dark places and stay there. That sort of jargon. Mm. You know? mm. Do they? Do they then after they finish playing? And you're part of, I guess, a former players network, and you know some of them. Do they look back with some concern over the attitude they had towards it then, or not even then? No regrets. No mm. fear at the time, and no regrets afterwards. No, no. I I think our players. Um, are completely oblivious to the concussion issue. You know, like uh, if you talk about whether there was a guy, the guy did the try, the Iron Man in, yes, uh, uh, this week, the Washman. Uh, Poppin. Poppin, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, he's, what, 45, 44, early onset dementia, got kicked in the head in the start of the swim at Porth Call or wherever it was in, mm. in Swansea. But um, our players have got not one... They're not even thinking like it's weird. The UK is very aware of it. You know, how many times you hit a scrum machine? Our guys are not there anywhere off. I don't know if we're going to pay that bill later. It's, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. I'm not it sure. It just doesn't cross. 
Mm. Our players are very old school like that. Go out there, murder them, enjoy it, and look back <laughs> with fondness of their stories. Yeah. Yeah, we're way behind the awareness that the, you know, Steve Thompson's got his book Unforgettable and that stuff. It's We know when you're there. So we talked a bit on the podcast about this whole dilemma about you know, player welfare and how much contact you should have in training versus game time. Mm. Now, you as a coach, that's obviously a bit of a balancing act because you don't want to over give them too much contact because of just the effects of that. How do you toughen players up for the game? Because there's a toughening up process that allows them to take physical contact that you have to train. So where, where do you, how do you find that balance? Yeah, look, we've, we've gone away with all, all contact um, during the week. No contact in the week. No, none. And this is just just before you continue. We come under so much pressure to reduce contact, reduce contact. And then you ask the coaches how much they do, and a lot of them say that. (laughs) So then you go back to these advocacy groups and you say, what would you like to reduce from zero to where exactly? (laughs) It's it's crazy. We've been told to solve a problem that actually doesn't exist. In a lot of the, look, there are some coaches who don't have this mindset, but mm. a lot of the time it's not a problem, and yet you're proposing it as a solution and beating rugby with it as a stick. And do you think most coaches crazy. are like that? There's a I minimum think, content. Listen, I don't think it's in my case. I don't think it's coming from an altruistic place. I'm coming from. I just don't want to see, you know, an ACL or a exactly. concussion in training. I can't. It's, mm. Yeah. It's so devastating. The coach has an incentive set that actually makes for good behaviors around contact. If you smash them four times a week for 20 minutes a day, you will have half a squad available every game and then you will lose. Mm. So they've modified their behavior to win and it happens to have welfare implications that are positive. So we would have to make up as close we can get as up-down work or, you know what I mean, like tackling tackling somebody onto a tackle a big flat puffy cushion you know mm-hmm. and get repeatedly or repeated up downs but we you know I won't there won't be any cleaning cleaning's a horrible you know mm. no cleaning whatsoever it's, it's vicious we won't even do leg tackle I probably Ross is dead right it's and then I say it's, it's perfectly aligned in that respect so then if I said to you injuries in matches are often caused by tackle technique and ruck entry technique yeah. <laughs> how are you training them to yeah. be technically yeah. proficient yeah. if you're not allowed efficient. to give them contact yeah so we do some tackle stuff onto the bat. On, we're doing it this week onto the big. It's like a long jump, long jump cushion. You know the thing those guys land on. Yes. So we do a lot of just trying to get their heads right. Uh, cleaning, we don't. Uh, it's just too dangerous. We so we'll do cleaning against uh, shields, but then that's completely. It's very far removed from the mm. from real thing. We've even thrown away our body armor. A lot of teams have obviously that's a Robocop mm. body armor. We don't even use that because it's too similar to contact. Mm. But it's, it's purely self-survival. I just don't want to lose guys for that Saturday. So we're not, that's a good point, Ross, we, that we are not teaching them enough of that is probably more the danger. Yeah, we, we had a meeting back in 2017, I think it might have been, with the defence coaches. That was when Jacques Ninob was still the SA defence coach and Sean Edwards was there for Wales and so on. And they said, we hardly teach tackle technique and training. We work on defensive systems and decision-making uh, yeah. and line speed. But in the same conversation, they'll tell you that tackle technique is the main contributing factor to head injuries in the game. So then you have this dilemma. And then you say, well, in that case, we should teach more of it. But then people say, no, 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 less contact, not more. So, okay. (laughs) So here's a paradox. How do we solve this? Mm. So so you're saying that the toughening up process to get them ready for contact in a game is just because they play regularly and they've come through the system where they can take it anywhere. Yeah. So there's not contact training, in other words. Yeah. 
So not, not a toughening up process close to a match or something like that? No. Look, we'll do mm. up-down work to get them not just running fit. Up-down work is what? Tackling, getting up, tackling. tackling getting or tackling tackle bags, getting up. Yeah, it's not live tackles. It's not no. bone on. It's what Richard Gray always <laughs> calls bone on bone type full intensity tackle. It'll be, it'll be up in small, slight contact. So that is quite alarming. If you think about it, you're not going to do it the whole week or if you've missed the previous week the injury or not being selected and your next game is to have a full steam, uh, it doesn't matter, Marco, uh, Marcel could see her running against you. It's crazy, yeah. Mm. But it's, it's true. And that's why injuries predict future injuries in part because once you're injured you deny yourself training opportunities and then you're not ready for the demand of the match yeah it's yeah. a brutal sport now Mike it's a, I mean it's unrecognized I, like, I finished playing 20 odd years ago. just because the guys are so fit and fast and I mean I, I held a tackle bag the other day for Zas who's a, a medium size medium to largest size wing but he's not Johnny Lomu and I had boots on and I held the thing as low as I could and I held it and he drove from, from a meter away I woke I mean, next thing I looked, Doc Suter was looking at me. You know, I was like, I'm back with my head of the stars. This was a win from a meter's yeah. runner. He destroyed me. Yeah. So, so that actually is, even though you're not doing contact, there's some pretty physical hits in yeah, training. Yeah, that sort of hits. Mm. I mean, so those hits are interesting to wonder whether they can they can be reduced somehow. But do so, you want to? Well, it's interesting. I mean, that was one of my questions. How has the game, do you think, developed in the last two decades to where it is now? So you're suggesting that the pure physical strength of the players is pronouncedly very different from what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, we all we all said in the in the 80s how much the game had evolved and the England backs of the 1990 were bigger than the England forwards of pre-Second pre, pre -Second World War. But um, what I've just seen, the guy like Franz Mahoman now, he should have been, I don't know if you watched, did you watch it? Who, there was one game last weekend where a tight head just got, somebody launched a crazy counter-attack. Flip, I can't remember what wasn't it the French replacement hooker over down the left side touchline? The left and then he ended up kicking ahead. Yeah, I, I think. It, but the point, France Mahoba, we should all have been able to run around. Now France can move properly, laterally, <laughs> forward. So hmm. there's no space out there, and the hits are just enormous. Yeah, I say I reckon ten years ago, Avipi now is almost like a, and he can move. He's almost the last of a breed. Yeah, if a guy, if France can't fold on defence and fan out and get off the line you're not going to choose him so these big guys so they're just the the, 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 the whole thing of the piano the piano movers being concentrated and the little wing Shane Williams could see France in front of him and step him it doesn't exist anymore mm. France mm. can catch that guy and put in the hit and that's what's making it really scary I mean I think it's a brutal and also it's a problem for the refereeing because those breakdowns are so high speed so fast so much power it's mm. impossible yeah. the, the game's outgrowing it's out developing our conditioning itself I think so when you look at the game now and having discussed with Ross on this podcast the, the changes in the rules and the fact that you the tackle law has changed we suggest that the tackle law makes the game slightly more open because players might get away from a tackle easier do you think that the kinds of players will change in the next five years and if you do what do you think about when you're starting to choose the Stormers of 2028 for instance uh, I think what we've got to do is keep the keep the scrum Keep the line out so we can get different shaped people. Because otherwise, we rugby league's thirteen, and you know even that's not attractive. It's you know it's four or five tough tackles before there's mm. any form of play. We fifteen, so unless we, you know, we we're gonna have to keep concentrating people. So we have to make it a reward for the scrum, uh, which is boring. We have to otherwise, if we we're all gonna call, every athlete's gonna look exactly the same. 110 kilograms, 1.9, 1.9 meters, really fast. And I think that'd be devastating for, 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 for... And you don't think it's going to go that way? 
you think? <laughs> the, the, the wind direction is blowing it in that direction. Yes. I think. Yeah. Okay? And you're suggesting that that's not good for the game. I think that field's going to be too crowded mm. and the, you know, it's too hard to... Look, there are law changes we can make. Um, we, I think we should let playing on the ground, playing the ball on the ground, for example, happen. Because I think, you know, leaving this ground is creating these high, these disastrous interpretations of the breakdown. Just let the guy play on the ground. Whoever wins it, you'll find, you know, uh, uh, wins it. I'd even let I'd be, Ross would be horrified. Let the old-fashioned racking uh, come. But so, not that you can kick somebody. But you, I would just to get more people concentrated around the breakdown yeah. to create more space, you know. Because um, as soon as we fill 15 athletes in a row, what's it, 70 meters, mm. one every four meters. Uh, that's nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I will literally, our wingspan will cover it. Right. That's going brick wall stuff, you know. So that's, that's, that's uh, yeah. It's so interesting, I, right, because when whenever the decision makers and the experts talk about the breakdown, they want faster ball, cleaner ball. The consequence of that is fewer players will go in. 100% right. Yeah. And, and even Jacques said to me once, he said, if I can't pressure the ruck, I'm going to pressure the pass. And so I'd rather have 14 players on their feet That's exactly right. so that I can hit you not at the first, at the ruck with the point of the tackle. I'm going to rush up and hit you at receiver one, receiver two, receiver three. Mm. And the problem is that the faster you hit receiver one, two, and three, the more the risk of injuries go up there. So again, it's one of those classic dilemmas where there's a tension between the welfare requirement and the... And so when you say I'd be horrified at the racking, I've actually, it has been discussed. In, it's come up and I'm not because I know that what it would do is it would bring three or four more players yeah. there and then you couldn't rush up anymore because mm-hmm. you'll only rush up if you're numbered up. And like the 50-22 rule, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, that was created in part to try and compel the team without the ball to put one player back yeah. so that there would be a bit more space in the backfield. And so they, they, they know that the space, rugby is all about manipulating space and the only mm-hmm. way you do that is you put people in, the black space and white space, you know, closed mm. and open. And so the welfare thing and the sometimes they're aligned, but sometimes they're in opposition. So the suggestion that you suddenly want a whole bunch of highly mobile players actually is not necessarily a good thing for the sport because no. you need those no. big heavy guys contesting yeah. the ball. And then nor is this nor is this drive for fifty minutes ball in play. Mm. You don't think it's a good thing? No. No. That's the same no, thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. And like they say, uh, 32-minute ball in play, unattractive. We'd rather have 40 minutes ball in play. And then average is what, 36 to 38? Uh, what do you mean by that? In other words, the playing time that's… Uh, the actual uh, live playing actual time. Live so playing when time I get a penalty, the clock stops. Well, the game clock keeps going, but the ball in play clock stops, mm. right? And until that line-out is thrown in, it's actually dead time. Mm. And there's a, there's a thought, there's a school of thought that you want to minimize that as much as possible. But then I'm looking at that and saying, now we've got 45 minutes of ball and play time. That means there'll be 30% more tackles, 30% more exposure to risk. It's just not, yeah, so it's, that's, that's also driving welfare issues, I think. Yeah, I think Ross is right. You know, we sit at a game, I coach, and we actually don't know what that ball and play was. And we think it was a good game. And we walked down and somebody says 29 minutes. I don't think the spectator really knows the difference. I don't think so either. And also, this fuff going box coming back box, that's ball in play. Mm. That's shit ball in play. It's <laughs> terrible ball in play. So I agree with Ross. Chasing ball in play is a, is a, is a, is a well, we have to keep the big guys on the field. You know, we have to have this, 
you know, the chasing ball in players. Also, we're going to condition like marathon runners. Mm. And then I think the sport gets into trouble. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the other thing about ball in play, the paradox is when there's a try, ball in play time by definition stops for 90 seconds because that's the time to give a conversion. So sometimes you look at and you say, geez, the ball in play time was low. That's because there were 11 tries in the match. Mm. So, okay, is ball in play the right metric then to judge Mm. if there were 11 tries? Maybe not. Mm. Maybe it's something other, (laughs) something that we should be looking at in addition. So you're creating quite nice segues from me here because you just mentioned the, the, the boxing the ball all the time. So one of the frustrations, if you, you sit at any rugby match and yeah. we as, whether you're a South African or an English supporter or whatever, the team kicks the ball down the field into the other uh, half of the other field and then there's just kicking back and forth. We know that it's about gaining territory, but it's extremely frustrating to watch as a, yeah. as a fan. How do you... Is there an alternative to that, or is that it's just that you have to be able to be able to control the game in the opposition half, and there's no other way of doing it? What, think, what's your view on that? I think, look, the box kicks drive me. Those box kicks, you know, uh, drive me mad. I thought they were going to go. I thought we saw a change. I thought they were going to go towards more what we call the open field contestables. So we're talking about box kicks. It's coming out the scrum. The, the, the scrum off right. takes Stuff it. with these things going. Exactly. You'll see the caterpillar forms. The Southern okay. Hemisphere teams don't do the caterpillar. It's a, northern, it's a Northern Hemisphere thing where they, they load the back of the rack with one, two, three, four guys because that, that then stops the defending team from then charging the kick down. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pain. And the goal is position. The goal is um, territory. I think, I think we've moved it. A little bit away from wanting to have territory uh, that used to be the case. I, I tell you what, so there's been a disastrous law interpretation, I think. So what happens now, if I kick one of those contestables, we call them, the up and unders, the old-fashioned up and unders, and I kick it to Ross. Ross is the fullback or the the wing about to receive this thing with hordes coming down. Okay, there's a whole other grey area in between because we're all blocking each other. Yes. Almost like yeah. We call it bubbling. Some people call yeah. it escorting. There's a lot of uh, yeah, people giving it away. It's hard to referee. But Ross... As the last guy in defence has to catch that ball, so the the, the the law the referees used to say, and if you were taking Mike, you go up and contest with Ross. We used to say you have to be in a realistic position to catch the ball, and that was good. I thought Ross hasn't got the luxury of being able to tap it back because he's the last guy. If he taps it back into his try line, he's going to concede dramatic territory or points. Now they're interpreting it like. No, you, Mike, the attacking chaser, has to be in a realistic position to play the ball. And that's a massive difference to catch. So no yes, what that is. because he that can knock it just, backwards. No, he can knock mm, it back. Mm. So he's jumping up from three yards away, just going like this. He's not, but no attempt to catch it. He can destroy Ross. It's a player safety-wise. It's a disaster. And also it's li- it's reallowing these kicks to actually have a return because I can, worst case scenario, I chase the kick or you chase onto Ross, you knock it on. It's a Ross's scrum, big deal. But Ross has got, he's got, he's got to catch the ball. And that to me is encouraging more box kicks and it's allowing for a horrible collision, a worse collision in the mm, air. Mm. Whereas if you have to stop and jump like this, I think it's a safer collision. Uh, I mm. thought there was going to be a trend towards on-field, open-field contestables, which the All Blacks do, Barrett does well, Marnie Lowell does, which is more attractive. You know, there's no room for the, the escort. Mm. You know, the, the mm. jump isn't so much because no, the ball isn't coming down. You don't know exactly where it's coming down. I think what teams are, we certainly try, and I think the Springboks are going that way. We're not trying to win the territory. We're trying to do what Ross said. We're trying to manipulate the backfield so that those guys exit a poor kick onto us to allow us to counterattack. So I think there's a bit more of attacking fear. You know, you put, you've got to put three back. Mm-hmm. If you don't, we'll find an open field and you'll have to kick an exit kick onto us and then we can have a crack at you, mm. either off the line out or the counterattack. It's not so much about being in the half. We want the... The South African rugby, sorry, I'm going on a lot now, mm. has changed a lot. We've finally discovered that we've got backs through a good transformation program 
real expected backs. We almost got the island equivalent where all blacks beat us for years. Our wings used to be these military medium guys who just finishes. Now we've got real X factors, so we're trying to create chaos. So I think that's what the thinking yeah. game is more about, is trying to create chaos to yeah. attack. Okay, with you. And that's why, like, you watch New Zealand, France. Yeah. New Zealand contested every kick. Mm. France, was a- fr- France didn't contest kicks even when they were contestable. So they kick going up and under, and their players are there. They still didn't go up yeah, for him. Yeah. I think I think they've worked out the risk of doing it's too high, giving away penalties and cards. But why are they and kicking secondly, it? Why are they kicking it then? Because they want New Zealand to have the opportunity to play, yeah. play, play, kick it to us, and then we'll see where there's space. And if you don't, okay, yeah. we go two phases, we kick it back and see what you got then. Kick mm. it again. Okay, now we finally found that space, and then we've got Peno or, or Villier, wherever yeah. it is. And we do this. We do very much the same thing. Not it's a couple much. of couple of phases, and if you haven't broken through it couple phases then your safest highest yield option is to kick to see if you can create a new shape new pattern to look at but a kick always feels like it's a 50 50 as opposed to a guarantee but then you have positions when you have position you have the ball therefore you can do things and you can recycle and create more opportunity that way kicking away the ball you're potentially giving the opposition a chance to get back at you and you don't have you've got to defend yeah, so so that's why I struggle as a fan to look at that and go. I don't I understand the, the area. Sort of the middle of the field, the middle thirty yards. We we call Middle Earth. <laughs> now, if we're playing in Middle Earth, that we've got the ball, and we through three four phases, we'll start getting. I'll be starting to get edgy, get rid of it. I tell you why because if you just get one breakdown isolated against the Bulls, for example, domestically. Because against the Springboks internationally, a holding penalty there because you've overplayed. Mm. So you, your, your cleaners are more accurate in the first two or three phases. You know, in the fourth phase is getting a bit looser. They get a holding penalty. They've got either three points or they've got a 22-meter entry. So you're defending them more. So don't give the worst place to give penalties. In our 22, I don't mind a stuff about us giving away a penalty because either they, we, we, they've got there so they can have their three or we'll have another go defending them in the line-out. But they've got there. Mm. But in that area of the middle earth, don't give away a penalty. And mm. it's, it's, it's miserable. Mm. Uh, but we don't, Ross is right. Marnie Libok, we'll tell him, Marnie, we'll give you two or three to have a look. But if it's not, just get, a, get, get, get rid of it. And what the get rid of it is what Ross is saying is dead right. We're not getting rid of it, just give them a chance to attack. Because if they want to attack against us, if they want to take five or six phases, Dion Free will get in at one stage and we'll mm. get the penalty. If they want to kick it back, then your chase line better be good. I will give it back to you mm. as soon as we see your chase line staggered a bit. So it's quite tactical. It is unattractive. Mm. I think it's sad in rugby that you not you, that you can get punished for playing. Yeah, but that's where the game pretty much is at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Four or five phases. I reckon teams are getting edgy mm. in the twenty-two different story. Ireland's different though. And so that's interesting. So we'll play Ireland in this is South African centric now, but we got Ireland not this weekend next. What are they looking to do? Exactly. Ross is right. They're the multi-phase team of world. Mm. They want. They've got thirteen phases worked out. Yeah, but we played against Leinster. Now we got Dion Free is probably one of the best Steelers in the world. I don't think and Munster in the final. I don't think Dion touched the ball. You know, normally you know, if you come for a steal, mm. you can get your hands, maybe you get cleaned. They are so accurate to the breakdown. They're so organised. Mm. Ross is right. That's the different model. Yeah. And, so what are you trying to do against them? So what we when do, you're the Stormers against Leinster, what's your objective? And I think we, we've talked uh, with the Springboks, some of the Springboks staff, about the same model. Uh, is that we and we did it? I think we saw in that game in Auckland where we got pumped. Do you remember that they wanted Mount Pleasant? Yeah, Mount earlier Pleasant, this year, Mount, Mount Smart. Mount, I think Mount it's Smart. called. Yeah. And they, um, that second half, I thought we showed the template how we're going to win the World Cup. Was we slowed their ball down so dramatically with that counter rucking. So Peter Steff. So what Jock? Mm. Was, he's right. Jock was very much fourteen guys on their feet. Get the 
if he can get 15, if the tackler can get out, we got 15 on our feet, great. But suddenly they were putting Malcolm Marks, which is a pity now, Peter Steff, uh, Eben, coming in as an extra guy to counter ruck. So the Irish are having to put an extra cleaner in, or oh, the New Zealand's in that game. When we play the island, watch the counter ruck. If we slow their ball down, they're going to be forced to kick and the thing changed. Yeah, because if they slow it down, we can get off the line and we can have line speed mm. and they won't be as comfortable. You know, it's nice to have a five phase plan, but the problem is if in the third phase is a Mr. Eben Edzabeth hitting you, like Mike Tyson says, getting punching <laughs> yes. in the face. <laughs> and then you're gone. So I think what, what you're going to see in that game, we didn't do it that much against Scotland because Scottish were technically woeful. They tried to play off 10 mm. and they didn't play off Schumann or Schumann or whatever he's called, off yeah. nine. Um, but this, we've got the physical capability and the aggression and the dog to counter ruck. Marks is a massive loss to this. Yeah, massive, yeah, massive, yeah. massive. Yeah. He's probably the player, if you were the whole team, he'd be daylight, the world player we could least afford to lose. Because mm. you've got one of the world's best dealers, one of the world's best counter ruckers, and one of the world's best hookers. Mm. There's three positions. Yeah. So, um, but I think that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a, it's a, two extreme ideologies. One team who doesn't want the ball, it wants to stuff you up. And one team who wants to get through the phases. Eh? When you're a coach and you've got these stylistic opposites, would you rather play someone stylistically more similar to yourselves or someone very different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we're talking, I guess, World Cup context. And I'm sorry for listeners who are English or Australian, yeah. whatever. We're, we're South African-centric. We could play France, who are very similar to us, or we could play Ireland, who are completely oh. opposite to us. What's... Yeah, the cutlass and the red. Uh, my feeling is that we can control the physical dominance of of Ireland, Scotland, New Zealand. I'm not sure that the French have just got the ability to stand up to us. With, if you take that away from us, I thought Scots would do better. If you take away the scrum penalties or the more penalties or the counter counter ruck, then I think we're in trouble. You know, I do. Uh, I think against Ireland, we can we can control that. You know, we can counter ruck. We can slow them down. It worries me against the French who've got the physical... Look, Willems is a big loss for them. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Would you, what's your, what's your, who would you, the team I'm most scared of would be France. After the first game, France. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll see, because if you're listening to this podcast now and those games are already over, you'll know whether we predicted the right or not. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, who is, mm. the, so when we look at, up at the box um, at an international game or a, a, a game that you, at, at your level, who, who is in that box and what are they doing? They're probably like four or five, so you, look, you'll have, you'll, the law, Ross's law is that you will have a the fast side is generally a physio mm-hmm. I mean the Springboks were a hell of an advantage when Jock was there yes. you know, before because to yeah. have a, co- a really good coach like he is it's a brilliant coach on the, cause, so we only had one medic the far side and only one doc roaming obviously we manipulate like something down the water so this is, but this is in the box so this, this is, is up, upstairs now yeah. so yeah. in the upstairs we'll upstairs have, yeah this is upstairs upstairs you've got the you'll have the head coach and the, the, the forward traditionally the forwards coach the attack coach Maybe there's a breakdown coach or a kicking coach. Mm-hmm. Kicking coach tends to be down on the field because he's chatting to the kicker the whole time. And then there's an analyst or two analysts. And basically what they're doing, they, they're either they doing live coding. So that'll be um, just so we've got a picture of where we are with territory, where we are with breakdown speed. So they're coding. And that's for after the game or as no, the game is happening? Again. It's live. You know, it's live. So they're trying to get yeah. us to half time. After half time, it tends to take a life of its own. So for you as a coach, you've got all those people with you. Yeah. What are you talking to them during the game and how can you affect the game in the field um, from that feedback? Look, the coach's box is a terrible environment. It's it's fraught, it's temper, it's it's anything, everything it shouldn't be uh, because <laughs> we're shouting at each other, we're swearing, we, we're going down with messages about the past. Tell Ross Tucker, 
never ever to put his head in that breakdown again, which is completely wrong. We should be telling Ross what the next plan is. Um, we're getting a bit better with it. but um, So it's an emotional place. No. But it's trying to be analytical, but it's, overrun, it's overcome by emotion. Exactly what it is. It's awful. Um, and the coaches are going at each other. We're going at each other. We're fighting for the radio. You know, we on the, I'm on the radio. Darby wants to put a message on. We're getting better. Okay, we, so, so radio, who are you, talk, who so, you, so, okay, who you so talking to? What's basically happening in the ideal world without the emotion, we should be forward looking at the next task so that Crick, Crick might, he's the, the line-out defence guy, he's got a computer, might be saying, listen, they're closing middle and front ball in the line-out. So then the message might go down to the physio, the doc, uh, tell them to take front ball options for the next while. Um, and how is he communicating that? It's on radio to the um, to the physio, the doctor. And how is he communicating and that he, to the player? And he's at any water break or feigned injury. So we'll have calls. To, to, uh, hang on, call. the feigned injury? Yeah. No, <laughs> not, we're not unique. A brunt. Yeah. If, it's, if you could put a, scrum, a proper hooker down at scrum time, the referee has to stop play. Right. It's just you can't scrum without them. So it's a communication gap. The, so we'll, yeah. he'll go, the docker shot for this, and Francie, brunt, brunt, brunt. Brunt and Francie will go down with it before scrum, gives us a chance, and then the water carriers will go. To, so if it's a backline thing or a kicking thing, the water carrier goes straight to Marnie. If it's a line-out thing, somebody's going to Marvin Ori. Uh, depends how many carriers we line on two or three. Right. So that's just it's just tactical stuff about going forward. During the game, they're shouting the whole time. So we the, the, as the play goes up, you'll see them, the physio on the far side, the doctor, he's shouting the whole time, discipline, whatever the story is. Some of it's complete white noise. A lot mm. of it is. Mm. Uh, but there are tactical things. As soon as there breaks, um, those guys are going on with messages. That's why you see the hand coming up. Yes. We had, we'll instruct them, tell us, show us that they uh, Gareth, you to Marnie to look at the bozo. Mm. And then the hand will come up, okay, now Marnie's got the bozo plan. And that stuff. So the, the, the radios are going the whole time. Mm. And there are, there's counter, there's, um, sometimes you'll see the earpiece back in the, the guy will hold the earpiece to a player so we can have a direct conversation into injury. Sometimes okay. there's stuff coming back up to say that maybe S&C based that he reckons France has got another three or four minutes. He's cramping. So that's communication. Right. And then there's... So there's quite a lot of communication happening. And there's more sinister communication. What you're picking up from the opposition. Mm, what, yeah. what, 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 what frequency we stumbled upon. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sort so of there's stuff. a lot of uh, <laughs> subterfuge and... Uh, uh, listen, you sweep... Uh, it's a professional uh, game, uh, isn't uh, it? Yeah, I mean... We haven't for a while, but I've been involved where we sweep the coach's box mm. just to make sure there are no bugs. You know, the referees change room at halftime. That's an important place. Mm. Um, I'm not saying we've done it, but because at halftime, the referees are no doubt having a conversation. Watch Take is scrumming in or all that sort of thing. So that's useful information if you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> so you sweep the, you sweep the box? You, you yeah, have I went for a while, but mm. certainly but Cape Town in the last yeah, We've sweeped, definitely sweeped the coach's box. That's unbelievable, huh? Yeah, uh, certainly away games because mm. it's their facility. Captain's practice—you will see the stuff we've—you, we don't do half the stuff we used to do. At captain's practice mm. and away games because mm. we're not sure who's watching. You know. see the South African coach now in the World Cup. He's got his lights. Any idea what those mean? I don't. Look, it looked like last week they were saying go for poles. It looked like it was that simple. Mm. That's what the commentator said. Yeah, and it didn't look any more complex than that. But yeah, seems but like a complex it, solution to a fairly simple yeah, instruction. Uh, yeah, that's. I don't Nick Bennett's right. I mean, there's nothing you can't get on with the radio. Mm. You know, if we don't anymore with the Stormers, uh, I'll tell you a funny story, but we don't do put calls on anymore. Um, I'll tell you right now, but there's no, you know, we used to, if it's a penalty, the guy with the tee just starts running. 
So you don't need a life without to even array. Well, Gareth, go. And then the Imani just knows to look at the side. He sees the tea's coming. But whatever it was, I was a boy, you guys. Last year we played Chenechli, Scarlets, and we're under the pump. And they were attacking us and getting in Cape Town. away. And we mm. needed to win him with a bonus point to win the shield, South African shield. And Kitsi got a steal. And um, it was our penalty. And Warwick came up, took a quick tap, kicked it through to Marnie, and Marnie kicked it directly out. So it became their line out even worse where we are. And I was, hey, jeepers, what? Lip is going, you go and tell Warwick if he ever does that again, he'll never play for the storm. <laughs> did it. And I just lost it. And after the game afterwards, Warwick came up to me and said, you know what, we're going to go far. And I said, why? He said, because you trust us. I said, why? He said, well, I did that. Nobody said it. My radio was off. <laughs> <laughs> I, my radio was genuinely off. And uh, the, the physios hadn't heard that. Uh, heard that. And I actually, learned, that, I actually learned a lesson, a genuinely good lesson. Just yeah, by chance. Just by chance, yeah. Because, yeah. because uh, yeah, if they, that message had got down to the physio yeah. and the doctor, he would have then relayed yeah, it to the and, player. And we get crossed. But not, but not in the same language, potentially, that no, you they, delivered they, it. They would, they would soften the language a little bit. They yes. do that because they on the ground, they feel bad. Yeah. But we, we watch them. How aggressive are they? They must be aggressive. Like we got a physio we don't want to use because his field entry is poor. Mm. We want a physio who doesn't say, stuff the fourth official, stuff, go. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Our one doctor, you know, he's not getting on the field aggressively enough. It's a big thing that he can get on the field, go, mm. doesn't matter the reprimand he gets. You know, it's an important mm. part of it, actually. Yeah. We look at a physio's field entry. Yeah, it's in, and, and even even like the, the physio's relationship with the players and the degree to which they can be uh, part of a squad without being part of the playing squad was a, a key factor. I remember in the teams I worked with, it's not their technical knowledge that matters. It's this other stuff. That's fascinating because they're, they're playing. You think the physio is there to look after the players' phys- physio needs, but actually they're playing a much bigger role. Than they are, but you see, they need a minimum standard of technical competency yes. so that they don't screw up their core job. Yes. <laughs> but then beyond that, the value, so the value yeah. add is the actual stuff. No, it's not physio-related or medical-related. No, they've got two other jobs. One is the technical, so they should know all our, our playbook, our, not our playbook where they go, but the jargon. You know, if we call it Bozo, they must be able to say that. And then the other critical thing with them is um, they've got those guys for three times a week, 45 minutes, one-on-one, which I don't get close to as a coach. In yes. calm, in a calm, calm environment. Yes, relaxing yeah. massage time. I know we've spoken to Gary. Um, 100% right. So we, 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 yeah. discovered, we discovered players who had family issues, yeah. parental problems, uh, marriage issues and stuff because the physio. But you see, the physio has to be so careful yes. because you get one opportunity to violate that confidence Just, uh, and then you've lost it. So how does, how does the physio know when to communicate, what to communicate? And the players know the game. And it's it's a whole delicate ecosystem. That hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it's, fascinating. Yeah, the physios are incredibly important. Like that. you're right, you can't mm. break their trust. <laughs> and uh, but they've got all the intel. So, so now like, the physio knows that you've got they're a like guy. Almost who's like just, the team moms in many respects. Yeah. People trust them, but they also play that that role, the communication yeah. role. Yeah. And they know everything because you'll see a player or a <laughs> group of players are just not there. Their their, their focus is wrong. The intensity's down. The one person knows about it. And it's a physio. Mm. Yeah. But if they tell you about it, they'll yeah. never know about it again. Yeah. Mm. So, it's balancing it. It's a very high EQ how much job. Do, that how much do you play the referee? And I, when I say when I say you, I don't mean you specifically. I'm always talking about generally the game. No, how no. much do you think the referees are played? In other words, do you research the referees, analyze, not, analyze them? The it's, it? it's 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 probably you know I don't do much. I do the breakdown, but not much. But a, a good portion of my weeks on the referee. So me, the, me and the analyst. So there's they've got a whole form which what's his mindset? Is he a CEO? Is he a is he a 
a dictator? Is he Teacher. a professor? Exactly. Mm. Um, so that, uh, well, how does he see the game? What does he want from the game? That, that's built up of a watching referee. Then, of course, there's a whole statistical uh, support. You know, his attacking breakdown is beyond outside the, you know, he's on that side of the curve attacking breakdown wise. So we have to be really careful with our entries or whatever the story. And then there's a third element, which is on the field. And that's where we, so that's we that's the old classic, good cop, bad cop. So this week, Kitsi's got to keep him on this, in the tent. And Dion's got to put Dion for reef. He's got to put him under pressure whether it's a head shake or, and then we, then it's, then it's also. So you say keep him in the tent and that'll be his pal. Yeah, I just say, listen, everything is yeah, okay. Fine, so yeah. Dion, he, Kitsi might say to Dion, shut up, Dion, leave Oak. He'll deal with it. But they, they completely know what they're talking. They know what's going on. <laughs> what, but we also do the other level where if Ross is mic'd up, we'll go and get that. Kitsi will speak to the ref, knowing that the, it must get onto TV. So you say, listen, um, uh, Marius, I'm, I'm taking around. Marius, the way they're scrumming in, surely you've got to have a look at that. But all we want is that to be broadcast. <laughs> so the TMO, so the third official's got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's another. That's another thing. Half time. I'm not allowed to talk to the referee, which is right. But what we might do is get I want our captain to walk off down the tunnel next to the ref. So I'll be saying to Kitsy, Kitsy, tell him he's missed three steal, he's missed three holdings by them. Mm. I'm not speaking now, I'm speaking to Kitsy, but Kitsy's standing next to him as it come down. Mm. So it's a, it's a, and then what, it's what, what information? No, it's a, it's a. And would you had a, you would have a, a strategy around the referee, uh, the head of the game. There's, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a document. This thick about the referee, how we're going to manage him, how we're going to defeat him. Facebook Who's stalking him under pressure. Uh-huh. Everything, <laughs> everything. Is that a problem for rugby? Yeah, because rugby shouldn't be that subjective, eh? Yeah, it is. But, I mean, but unless you have a computer on the field, you're going to have humans listen, doing the, it, aren't you? The truth is, I mean, Ross won't disagree with me. Russie won us the Lions series by that diabolical video. Mm. It won us this. I've got no doubt. If that video had come, we wouldn't win that. That's impossible for a sport, isn't it? Mm. To be so subjective, eh? Yeah, yeah. So talking about mm. half times, um, you're famous for some of your best half time speeches. <laughs> Give us a bit of a pricey of what a what kind of half time discussions you have. Are they? I mean, obviously, you, there are times when you're playing well, sometimes when yeah. you're playing badly. It's almost a mythical thing that people talk yeah. about. You know what the player, what, what the coach said at half time. What, what is your attitude towards the half time talk? If we, and how does it how does it work? In other words, you've got a certain amount of time. What happens as they enter that in, into the change room? What are you doing? A normal game. Mm. So they will give them three minutes of quiet, quiet, which is important for them to reflect, recover. You know, take. I try and keep it. It's hard, but you've got to try and keep the coaches away from them. Because the, yeah, the line coach wants to go to Maya and say, listen, let's do this. Right. Um, so that, that takes a bit of discipline. Then we'll go into a split. And then the forwards will go around. The, these are the next few lineouts. And nowadays we do show the odd clip. Uh, it's more forward-based. Darby might have a picture of the backfield and kicking and the, for the backs. And then we'll come together. I'll let the defence guy say about 30 seconds. And then I will generally give a bit of a rev, just depending on what I think is needed. Uh, I'll tell you one which never works now. And then... I'll leave it about a minute to go for Kitsi because you must, the captain must, I shouldn't, shouldn't go me with them in a huddle, squeezing them straight on the field. I think they need to feel alone, safe together before they go on. So we give a minute or two to Kitsi uh, or the captain. Mm. And I think that's pretty common across, I, I don't think it's too different from anybody else. I'll tell you, I'll say that the one that doesn't work is when we got the lead and I say, go out there and stamp on their throats and finish them. For some reason, I've never known that to work. That's not a call. That's not a call to arms enough for them. I think what they really need are sort of two or three technical levers. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We just need to, this is the restart plan from when we get out. We're receiving. This is what we're going to do. And this is what we need. This is technically what we... If we, Mike, if we're playing poorly, then I'll go the old route. Yeah. And I'll say to the other coaches, okay, out the change room. I don't even get them a chance to sit down and say, what the flap is going on? <laughs> we asked you for these three things. Not one of you delivering this. Mm. How is it possible that so-and-so can break two tackles in the vacuum when we said, scurry, you covering the vacuum? This is a disgrace what's happening. These guys are paid 250, you know, the old school, 250 around. Not one of them can afford. They've sacrificed something. Be, be and you're not prepared to sacrifice. And then I leave the chain room, slam the door. And then the coaches come <laughs> to the tidying up. It's almost planned. Though. I was going to say, it's not always a positive riff. Yes, you can do this even there, there behind. It's kind of sometimes you, you have to do the, the crapping on you. Yeah. Oh, the old, the old school, school crapping on yeah. Our players aren't as evolved as, as maybe some European players, I, I think. And they, they come from a school system that's very hierarchical. Mm. Yeah, we try and, and I think people are trying to make the sense of safety, belonging, to lead from the back, to be player-driven. Mm. But our guys are conditioned for that boss mm. or that headmaster mentality every now and again, you mm. know. Unfortunately, they respond to that, you know, which is a pity. Mm-hmm. Oh, a... Yeah, because how do you change it? Yeah. The, the thing you want to change it to is not working. Yeah. So it reminds yeah. me of the conversation in the interview we did with, with Gary Kirsten when he was talking about coaching the Indian team. He says, I can't tell those guys how to be better players because they're already great. Is it the same? At do you think it, that happens to some extent at your level? There, once they get to the levels that you're coaching at, they have a certain level that they have, that they have just to be there. So you have to let them just get better at what they know they can get better at. Is completely right? Mm. I mean, we are, we are first almost thing I was doing the breakdown. Scott Berger's flank. I mean, Dion Ferry's the yeah. playing for us. He's the best. I can never teach Dion Ferry to can't steal tell them what to do. No, yeah. not yeah. in a. Th- I, don't, I mean, that's Gary Kirsten, who's you know, averaged 50 or 40 something in test cricket. Yeah, and he's been there. I've never been, been close to being there. So, you know, my thing's about trying to get them to challenge them to try and make themselves better in the right environment and have discussions about rugby and that. But there's no coaching, there's no coaching element whatsoever. Mm. I think my job is to just make them feel safe. And then that's important, you know, safe that they, there's a plan, that they're prepared well, they're physically, that they're rested. And... To, to sort of discuss clips with them, you know. But I, I think that we're growing fast in that area in South Africa. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, hmm. my, my, my final question, and, and this is a, an interesting one because it talk, talks to the players as well. When we look at top sportsmen, there are lots of egos at play. There are players with big egos and that sort of thing. How do you ground players because you get superstars that might be in a team and you might get personalities where you have strong personalities beyond the captain who might see themselves as leaders especially older players how do you keep a team grounded and kind of humble with each other um, even when you've got great success or, or is it necessary to even do that it is some guys some guys can do it and some guys can't do it I, some guys can be really good and fit and there are lots that can't so there's a thing I think it's an old thing from Neanderthal days, or they used to call it shaming the meat. You know, so the hunter, when he goes out and gets the meat and brings it back to the kraal or the village, they would deliberately sort of humiliate him because he'd gone and got the kill and he knew all the. So, in a funny way, we do this, you know, mm. we play in a nice way. Mm. Humor, you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, I think humor, like, um, I like humor by default. But just, you know, you know, we have to, like I tell Marnie, listen, Marnie, you're flying with us, but your head's coming on DHL. You know what I mean? We have to cargo that back to Cape Town. <laughs> you know, we just try the team environment, try and create a... Uh, it's it's really a stratified team. And I don't want to name names, but you guys will know it. 
one of the, some of the best things that happened to the Stormers in our case was guys, certain guys leaving. Mm. Just because they were so big and they're not that bad people. Mm. Yosia is a guy I can name because he's a world-class captain and a world-class player and a world-class human being and I love him. But he becomes so distracted. So we stop at the petrol station on the way up to Wilderness on camp and uh, bong him a number. We just off the 9 routine World Cup, we get off. And people want selfies. That's great. And, you know, we're proud to have Bongi. And Peter Steff, world player of the year, get off. And a little bit more mob. Sia gets off. The people stop putting the petrol in. They just leave the petrol. The ladies in the shop are ululating. Mm. You know what I mean? It's about, it's about other players are sitting on the bus for 20 minutes. Mm. Waiting, and Sia's not going to say no to anybody. Mm. You know, so I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say promote Sia. I mean, good. But in a team environment, actually, probably wasn't a bad thing. Uh, you, but but they, you have but, to keep him at a level where the players yeah, and that's really he's hard. not beyond. Yeah. So that is that's something I take a massive interest in, and the best way of doing it is to tease the guy if you can mm. get a little bit of relationship, a little bit of humour, and that he understands the need for you know that, that it because once a team stratifies like that, once you've got a back of the bus, bus culture, I think you're, you're not going to win too much. You know. Yeah. Um, so mm. that's something personally I obsess about. This thing, and it's not just, I mean, it's certainly not me, I get from other people. This sense of belonging that everybody feels they've got a voice. Now, we've had a player who's got a leader who just left us. And I thought the other players wouldn't grow any shadow because he was a great leader, competitive. He knew everything. He wanted to win everything. But it meant the next guys couldn't say, hang on, hang on, Ross. I want to try this move. Or hang on, Ross. I don't understand where to set on this move. You can't do that. So that's that. That is the key to keeping thing now. Everybody's got a voice and feels safe and then they belong. So I think. Because the game is a team game, essentially, yeah, individuals. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if we can all contribute, I mean, and the mm. same thing applies to diversity. You know, if, if diversity of opinion, if, 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 we, if everybody's got a voice, you're definitely going to come up with more solutions. Mm. But because he's only played three games, or because he comes from Villiersdorp, he doesn't have a voice, which is ridiculous. You know? mm. And that's. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ross, any final questions from you? Uh, no. no. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this kind yeah. of stuff all day. It's fascinating just getting good luck, good luck editing this shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we don't edit. Yeah. We just run it. Oh, like, uh, <laughs> how do you see the World Cup playing out then? Last you game. Know, you don't think I'm a Johnny come lately. That game in Mount Smart was South Africa winning the World Cup. That second half, where they got that slow ball, where they said, okay, you could see they stopped at half time to say, we're not giving them fast ball. We, we're going in. So that, it's hard to see behind South Africa, France. We were... Okay, marks is the big thing, but we'll slow Ireland ball down. Mm. Ireland will have to kick. We've now got a proper X factor. Because the difference, you know, the Pollard and Amani Libok is Pollard in back in backfield and he's a great fluff. He's gonna bomb it back. Marnie, if your chase isn't right, he's gonna take it on, you know what I mean? So I think we add another bow to our game and we we're probably discounting what a seventy eight percent kick goal kicker to seventy six, so what one one or two points a game? So it's us versus France. I don't see anybody else coming close. Australia mm. better than we think. So that's, I don't see the fast ball teams. I don't see Ireland or All Black, Ireland or France. So Ireland or All Blacks being there. How do you? What do you think? I, I'd be nervous about Ireland. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I can see. I can see a unfortunate, unlucky thing changing the course of a game, Re- such as the nature of rugby. Yeah, yeah. And then I can see injuries having a bigger influence than they should. Well, I think this might have already happened. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, mm. Mark's thing is and every, yeah. 10% of the, yeah. between those, now yeah, and the, between Mark, now so. and the quarterfinal all the big five will lose one more so who's it going to be one more big player one more big player yeah. law of averages right you're going to yeah. lose one more 100%. so the question would be who do you lose versus New Zealand versus Ireland versus France versus England mm. can you and can you absorb that loss I think we're better players to absorb it than most 
but there's a I, point at which you can no longer do that. I, mean, I thought you could, you could have done Eben is a, a stellar player. We could have got rid of it, replaced him easier than Malcolm Marks. Because mm. your whole bomb squad now almost changes, almost goes. Who's your bid? I still think South Africa the, must be the, the must be the favourites on paper. I mean, they've got the, just on recent form. But I'm, to say, I'm not, I'm not the, the expert. I'm, I'm just a fan. You know. The winner. Do, do you see a Springbok job in your future? No, no, no. no this is a look. I'm not. Really? I tell you, no, Why not? I'll tell you something actually factual. And I'm not being. I'm not good. I'm only good with my coaching team. I don't think you get that opportunity to take because it's high levels of trust with the coaches I work with. Mm. But um, this project to me is important. And we just had an equity. I wanted Stormers. But the Stormers particularly. Yeah, yeah. No, this is the, the reconnection with Cape Town and a proper rugby team. We're not, we're a bit of built on sand at the moment. You know, we've probably overachieved. Probably wasn't good for us in retrospect, you know, but now we've done an equity deal. What rugby means to this region is stratospheric. And that's where the Kirkleys and all those guys out there on the Cape Flats are. That's what we, that's what, that's the project. You know mm, what I mean? Mm, that's the success. Open rugby and that's what I want to do. Yeah, no, that's a success. Well, John, thanks very much for your time. It's been great having you today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Ross. Cool. Thank thanks, you. Ben. Thank you for listening to the Science of Sport podcast. Follow us on Twitter at SportsSciPod and on Instagram at Science of Sport Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.